This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically here with me in studio to discuss all things science is, I nearly said Luke Kelly, but that's not you. You are Luke O'Neill. You got my name right for once, Stephanie, I'm impressed. Yes, I did. (laughs) So you have a new book, To Boldly Go, Where No Book Has Gone Before. I'm in the middle of reading it and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. What I think is most interesting about it is, well, first of all, it's very funny because there's like chapters where you're saying basically, well, the Irish media didn't really pick up on this, but I'm actually a really big deal. And I've signed this very famous book that also Charles Darwin has signed. Tell us about that. Now, to be made a fellow is a big deal in England. What you have to do? You discover something really important in your branch of science. What did you discover? And I I was put up for it, right? You have seven goals at it, by the way, year after year, right? Okay. If you don't get it in year seven, you've got to step out for three years and then go in again, you know? Okay. And it's based on your peers. Do you submit yourself? No, no, you get two fellows to uh, nominate you. My nominators were Stephen O'Reilly, an Irish doctor who works in Cambridge. His air is obesity. Is he the namesake of the O'Reilly building in UCC? I don't think so. No, okay. O'Reilly. And Anne O'Gara, a good friend of mine, this woman, a very famous immunologist, they were fellows and they put me up for it and they right. wrote the references. So they're also signed in the book? They're very much so, yes. Yes. And very importantly, you need to have referees and you have to have Nobel laureates to say this person deserves this honour. And I too know Nobelists. Who are your Nobel laureates? Who would come to Dublin, who I fed with drink, basically, to write references. A guy called Jules Hoffman, who won the Nobel Prize in 2011. And a guy called Peter Doherty. Any relation to Dustin? No, sadly not. No, no, okay. no And then a guy called Peter Doherty, who's Australian. They're both immunologists. And I see, knew them very well. So they vouched for me, you see. And fine, I got, year seven, I got it now. This is back in 2016. And when you get it, the big thrill is you go to London to sign the book. The first signature is Isaac Newton. The book is really thick, you know. Yeah. All the world's most famous scientists ever are in that book because they all became FRS. Sigmund Freud is there, Charles Darwin, you know, and you you get know to Einstein. Look at, you get to look at the signatures. You're allowed to look at three signatures because you, you want to see signatures. So like yeah. I, I want to see Charles Darwin because he's the evolution, my hero, you know. Yeah. Edward Conway, by the way, and the Conway Institute in UCD is named after him. He worked in UCD for years. He got it in 1953. For what? He was the last Irish biologist to get it. Before you. you. See, before me. That's mm-hmm. how important That's I am. how important you are. <laughs> anyway, I want to see Edward. What did he discover? Edwards, he worked on muscle and heart and kind of iron channels in the muscles in the heart. He was a very good kind of physiologist. He cracked some of the fun, how muscles work, basically, was his yeah. claim to fame. Yeah? And then the third name was the woman called Honor Fell. Now, I did my postdoc in Cambridge mm-hmm. in the late 80s on rheumatoid arthritis in a very famous institute that worked on arthritis. Mm-hmm. And it had a woman director for a long time, and she was a one-off. There were very few ma- female directors of science institutes, you see, and Honor Fell was one of them. Now, she wasn't there when I was there. She was still alive, but she'd retired. And I met her once, you know. Anyway, uh, I, I wanted to see her signature. It was nine, like 1958, I think it was, and I saw her Honor Fell. Why did you want her signature? Because I was an awe of her because she was a huge influence on me. She, she, when she was in Cambridge, she had got she got her FRS for coming up with a way to culture cells outside the body. And which like is a big breakthrough. In other words, you, can take, you, like you could take a lump of, uh, in my PhD, you can take a lump of rheumatoid tissue from someone having a hip replacement. Yeah. She cracked a way to keep that alive in a dish and you can study it. You, know, yeah. you can analyse it. And Isn't that how you spent your youth cycling through hospitals to I get did, tissue I did, I tell that story as well. Yes, I cycled I, I used have to read cycle the book, over, you know. That's, that's evidence. I used to cycle over every day and maybe once a week to St. Thomas's Hospital in London, collect a piece of hip tissue and bring it back and grow, how did you bring grow it back? the cells in a special big plastic tube, fully sterile. 
fully and sterile. Then, and but, then grow it in the lab. And that was a real advance that on our film made because now you could study that in great detail, you know, add and, new drugs maybe. In other words, you can't do stuff in humans because it's tricky. So when so, I'm interviewing a young scientist who then becomes the next fellow, what will they talk about you? What, that's what not did you discover? <laughs> <laughs> what did you discover? Well, I think I got it for what's called innate immunity. So, so the immune system has two component parts. Mm-hmm. The adaptive part has antibodies that yep. we all know about from vaccines. The innate part is a bit more kind of primitive, you might say. It's a bit where you're, it's built in when you're born. It's called innate. You know? Is it all that like bacteria you get from the birth canal and that's part of it? Microbiome. Uh, what happened was a series of sensors were discovered of bacteria and viruses by got Jewel Hoffman, the guy who vouched for me. He yeah. he, he started this discovery in in, in actually nineteen ninety six. Yeah. And I worked on that and I found how some of those things work and I found a key switch that gets flipped during innate immunity. It's called MAL. We named it MAL, M-A-L. And that Couldn't have thought of to anything be, more exciting, no? Well, that stands for Mighty 88 Adapter-like, to give it the, what it stands for. But that turned out to be a key on switch of the whole immune system. And for example, if you make a mouse lacking MAL, you can knock genes out of mice to study them. Yeah. No immune system. So in other words, I've, I discovered a cog. But can you, can you give machine. someone MAL? Well, you can certainly stimulate man in a vaccine, okay. for example. And then we built on that, actually. One thing we found was the, the gene for mal, there's variants in that in humans. Mm-hmm. Some people have a weaker form of mal. And guess what? Higher risk of malaria. That's a coincidence, even though it's called mal. Mal, mal. Okay. that's a coincidence. They get more malaria, more TB. Now, that was important because it showed in humans this is a very important switch. Yeah. And if it's broken, you're at higher risk of infection. You know? So all that was going on and those discoveries. It was a basic component. So that's you like. why you were given the knighthood? That's why I was given the FRS. I'm not sure I'd take a knighthood. I'm going to call it a knighthood. Um, <laughs> well, I was saying the book, I came back to Ireland and they go, what's this FRS? Now, this, the academics know what it is. Nobody else Yeah, knows. yeah, no, the Irish media. Uh, one like, of my friends said, does that stand for former research scientist, you see? You're old now. You know, that was a little bit sobering. <laughs> you know? I think it's, a mo- it's, it's more of a privilege that you've been on the Late Late Show, you know? Then, it certainly is. Then. I'm a fellow of the Late Late Show. You're a fellow of the Late Late F-L-L-S Show. FLLS should be after my name. No more than yourself, by so the way. Tell me what else is new inside. Actually, tell me more about, so I haven't got to the end of the book. Yep. But it starts, so it, it's interesting because you do it through the people that, you know, through different characters that we've never heard of. A lot of them Irish, actually, which is very pride inducing. You start with the Big Bang, with yep. space, where everything starts. Where does the book end? It ends with the, each chapter, by the way, is a song title, given my musical interests. Yes. So the last chapter is called I Still Haven't Found What I'm, I'm Looking, looking for. for. And it starts with Robert Boyle himself. So Robert Boyle, 350 years ago, listed the things he wanted science to crack. Yep. One of which, for example, was longitude. Remember the discovery of longitude? That, that yep. wasn't understood at the time. So what was his understanding he, of what was missing? He, but he listed these things. So he listed, for example, um, an armour that will repel bullets. Okay, that was Kevlar. In fact, I list them. I think most of them have actually come true, right? Mm-hmm. So Kevlar stops bullets. He said, a ship that can sail without any need for a sail. That's an engine. Yep. Underwater swimming. That was scuba diving. Yep. So amazingly, Boyle's predictions, a lot of them were discovered. Mm-hmm. Now, I then put mine in next. I said, well, what would I like to see happen in the next 50, 100, 200? This is 350 years ago, Boyle did this. Yep. So I list about seven things that I think science will crack. What think. are they? The mind. 
So one of them is, will we understand the mind and understand what's going on in the mind? And we don't, we've, we're clueless about how the mind works still. Mm-hmm. And things like consciousness uh, and then illnesses like schizophrenia, psychosis, depression, all those things. We can't crack those unless we understand the mechanism of the brain, can we? You know. And the analogy I give is our understanding of the immune system 50 years ago when I began my research about 35 years ago mm-hmm. is as primitive as, uh, then as our understanding of the mind is now. So maybe someone else will find a cog like I found in the immune system, but it'll be for the mind. So I think we're going to see advances in the mind as a big thing. And that'll help for all these debilitating and awful diseases that we are afflicted by. You know? And then the other one I talk about is um, ageing. Will we understand what it is? We don't really know what ageing is. What do you mean we, we don't know what ageing is? Well, why do we age? It's a mystery why we age. Why do you live for 80, 90 years and a mouse lives for three years? You see, that's, that's a mystery. Because I'm bigger than a mouse. That's not true. They, they, that's a good question. They try to <laughs> correlate it with size and that's not the answer, you know. Well, also, out. like, mice d- don't have doctors. Mice don't have, you know, How do you know? Information. There could be a little doctor mouse there is a, down something. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> they don't, you know, take exercise or no, they No, no, but if you compare all different species, there's no rhyme or reason why a dog lives this long and a cat that long and a lion this long. They, they don't know why. That's one example, you know. But still, the ageing process, what is it? It, some things live for like yeast cells almost live forever why is that you know yeah I and know sourdough ca- and in cancer the cell gets immortalised so in other words it, it doesn't die and now forms a tumour that's another mystery you see now we have a few ideas by the way there's, there's a progress in this area but can you imagine if we could slow down ageing the no, ageing process I really have to advocate for this not happening we so, cannot live forever we are already seeing the burden on our health system our housing system our societies by people living yeah. for longer yeah but if they're healthy okay but like they're not they're fully healthy that's, that's, that's what we want we, we don't want to people live forever we will have a natural life every organism on earth has a natural lifespan if you're a Californian redwood it might be a thousand years right or whatever it is you can't go beyond that so for humans Live to your natural lifespan but without our getting lifespan all these diseases. used to be diseases. like 62. But that's because you were dying of infectious diseases or heart disease and other lifestyle things, you see. You know these people who live to be 120? Yeah. For some reason... Have you they, watched that they've documentary, it. The Their Blue bodies. Zone? Yeah, I have. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, a very, it's fascinating why some people live to a ripe old age. It's genetic, partly, of course it is. Mm-hmm. And then it's environmental. Now, if we could understand more about the ageing process and slow it down, all these diseases of ageing then could be prevented. That's the idea. Okay. So in other words, you'll be 110 years of age and you'll just die and one you'll day. be as sharp as a pin and you'll be talking to me and we'll be going for a run and all that kind of thing. But then how do we die? You just, eventually you get senescence. So everybody dies eventually and, and again the question is, getting back to the science of it, what's going on there, you know? It looks as if each cell in your body has a finite number of divisions. It's called a Hayflick number actually, like, like a, okay. like a Hayflick. And we don't know what it is. The big discovery there, by the way, I don't mention this in the book, Not Enough Space, um, in one of my previous books, Elizabeth Blackburn won the Nobel Prize because she discovered every time a cell divides, yep. the ends of the chromosomes get a bit shorter. Okay. They're called telomeres, these things. Yeah. And they shorten and that's like, that's like the clock, you know. Is that why your fertility depletes? a number of times. Because your eggs are not really. Well, the eggs are sitting there though, remember. The, egg, the eggs aren't being made fresh. No, they're not. Unlike the sperm, which is, could be a topic we discuss as well, you see. Sperm yes, are different. Okay. You're born with the number of eggs for life. Which I think is amazing. That means that my eggs were in my grandmother. They were, precisely. Yeah. 
That's like, isn't it weird? Yeah, and they're waiting to be fertilized. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Whereas a sperm, men keep making sperm, one sperm divides into two sperm, and that goes on all through yeah. the man's life, you know? So it's very different, the sperm versus egg thing. But That's uh, why I'm annoyed that men can monopolize women's reproductive years and then just yeah, fuck off. Yeah, I know, precisely. Excuse Although if you read my Sunday and depend the piece last Sunday, it's all about the sperm going off as men age. There's evidence yeah. for that now. You no, know? I've li- I've re- I read it. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? I mean, I thought that was intriguing. And, that, and that's quite recent, that stuff, by the way. It goes off, but you also said that the children of older men are more wise. Well, it's a complicated thing. So, so, so what's going on here is it's statistical. Let's okay. start with that. So they, they looked at 90,000 men yeah. and their sperm and their rate of fertility, first of all, and mm-hmm. they can see it going down with age. So once you turn 40, your sperm are less able to swim. It starts with that. Mm-hmm. And that's serious if you want to have a baby, obviously. You know? But probably more serious is, is the older sperm increasing the risk of the child having certain diseases. Okay. And there is evidence of a rare type of leukaemia. Now, it's rare anyway, being higher from older sperm, if you know what I mean. Now, because mm-hmm. it's rare, it wouldn't be a huge concern. But what is is things like schizophrenia and autism, in fact, those two, there's evidence now that the older the man is, the increased chance the child... Now, risk is not definitive, you know. And is that the same with the age of the woman or is this just a male factor? Uh, I think it's just a male factor. They have to normalise. There's always a risk that the man is getting older and so is the woman at the same time. Yes, you know, this yeah. kind of thing. Now, they norm- they, we call this normalising for age. So, younger women as well. Okay. With the older with man. With the older man. I suspect, though, they need more data. It's hard to do these studies at the best times. You know what I mean? Like, how do you match it properly? Yeah. But the thing that struck me, Steph, about that was, with in the case of schizophrenia and autism, the the DNA in the sperm is getting damaged as the man gets older, Mm -hmm. right? Because the the cells are reproducing and the telomeres are getting shorter. Well, it looks like as if it's two things. There's a mutation happening. The DNA is copying itself as errors when the sperm copies, right? Yeah. And secondly, these chemical marks are appearing on the DNA. This is called epigenetics because the code hasn't changed. Yeah. There's now a smudge, I call it. It's not a bad analogy. Yeah. They go up with age as well. And guess where the smudges are? Genes involved in neuronal development. Okay. And that's quite good now. And again, this is indirect evidence. Right? We'd like to see definitive proof of this. But it's a bit like a smoking gun. So in other words, as the man ages, there's a risk that the developmental process in the, in the baby's brain or the fetus's brain is somehow yeah. different. And that results in an increased risk of these, these, these uh, mental health diseases, if you will. You know? so, but it's still, that's to be proven, though. You know, obviously, that, that's a correlation. Yes, and not it doesn't, Not necessarily. But it's fa- fascinating and more work is needed. And secondly, I make the point that the age of men having babies is going up all the time. Yeah. So there could be more and more problems along these lines, as it were, of leukemia, or schizophrenia, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So but are thinking. we seeing an increase in those as well? Like, are we factually seeing an increase in the rise of people with autism, let's say, or is it just that we, or is it the argument true that it's just that we've become better at diagnosing That's always it? a problem. That's always the risk. If you see an increased incidence, it's just it's getting spotted more. So it's yeah. hard to, I can't answer that one. Because I saw a graph about the increased... Um, Increased numbers of left-handedness once left-handedness became socially acceptable and you yeah. weren't like, it, it wasn't the mark of yeah. the devil. It, it went, went up, up hugely. That's always the, you see, you're a real scientist, by the way. Yeah. That's exactly the thing to look for, you know? Yeah. And with this ageing business, there's also a, a chance that the older father is handling the baby differently or something like it's environmental then, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be the sperm that's causing the increased schizophrenia mm-hmm. risk of. It could be something to do with the environment, you know? So it's hard to say if, if, if it's definitive. It's a work in progress as ever with these things. But I thought it was interesting too when I write about it. Just taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Rockwell Financial. Rockwell Wealth Management are proud supporters of women in business. They support this podcast, they support me, and they want to support you too. They have a free consultation for basically listeners. 
This is the offer. You contact them, you tell them that you listen to the Basically podcast and they will give you a free one-to-one consultation to help you with your wealth management or any financial advice you need. When you're not feeling well or if you're in pain, getting medical treatment without delay is what matters. Matter Private has an emergency department at their hospital in Dublin and Cork where you can get access to emergency medical care quickly. I've used the service myself. The emergency department team was led by a consultant and they got me seen within 30 minutes of my arrival, which is their goal for all patients. And that means you can get whatever diagnostic tests you need without a delay, like a CT scan, an MRI scan, an ultrasound. And those results are fast tracked to help the medical team work out what was most suitable for your treatment. If you need to be admitted to the hospital, which I didn't, you will be seen as soon as possible by a consultant who specialises in your specific medical or surgical area of need. It's for over 16s only. They're open in Dublin Monday to Saturday, 8am to 7pm and in Cork Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. Tell me about your interesting research and developments in pans and pandas. Yes, that's exactly great. Tell us what it is. So so first of all, I came across this about two years ago, uh, a grandmother sends me an email saying that her grandson had had this thing called pandas and I'd never heard of it, to Mm -hmm. be honest. It stands for uh, Paediatric Autoimmune Neurological Psychiatric with Streptococcus. Okay. Something like that. Anyway, yep. so Streptococcus is in there and, it, and it's psychiatric. Right? And it, it was, she said her, her grandson had this. It's a psychiatric illness. So how did it present? He was it fine. with strange behaviours and it looks like as if it's a psychiatric thing, you know. Okay. And then the child really suffered. You know, yeah, and they finally diagnosed it, and then the child was treated with antibiotics and got a bit better. And she said, "Look, this is a very unexplored area." And I, I even I hadn't heard of the damn thing, you know. Yeah. So then I looked into it a bit, and then there was a big Economist article about a month ago, and that really got my attention. And I read that closely. And now what it is is this: so certain types of psychiatric illnesses in children, not all, it's it's a subgroup we think, mm-hmm. is caused by a bacteria. Strikingly, Streptococcus. That's a very common bacteria. Yeah, like if you get strep, strep throat. throat. Yeah, yeah. So there's a subset of children who pick up the strep and then for some reason that we don't know, develop a psychiatric illness. So now, is it that the strep gets into their brain? Well, no, the next, that's the, okay, that, that, that was the first observation. Now, that's correlation, the dreaded okay. correlation causation business. But still, streps seem to be linked into pandas and this thing called PANS, which is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Syndrome and there's other bacteria not not strep. Okay. So there's two sort of sub, subtypes, if you like. Now, the question then became, what's going on here? And then just recently, these two labs in America, what they're finding is autoantibodies in these children to their own brain cells. Okay. So the strep infects you, sets off the immune system. And then the immune system clears the strep as it's its job, but now it's off kilter and begins to make antibodies to your own brain. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So it's an autoimmune disease. That's, that's the next thing we, we look. It looks like right. It's autoimmune it in nature. Autoimmune from the get go, or does in fighting the strep, the immune system sort of kick off autoimmune issues with itself? Yeah, it's probably autoimmune diseases are a mystery anyway, right? Yeah, and there's always been a theory that they're triggered by infection. So when, see, if you have an infection, the immune troops go ballistic to fight the infection. There could be small numbers of B cells in your body making these autoantibodies and they go through the roof as well, right? right. Suddenly now you're switching into making autoantibodies against your own tissues. Yeah. And the, the classic autoimmune disease is lupus. Yeah. 
and you make all these antibodies and then you get, you know, kidney problems and eye problems and all the rest of it. With this pandas business, they're finding autoantibodies to cholinergic neurons in the brain. Now, acetylcholine is a very important neurotransmitter in the brain. Mm-hmm. So you're attacking your own cholinergic neurons. And then another group shows dopamine receptor antibodies. And it looks as if you're destroying those neurons or remodeling them in some way. Okay. Now, of course, it's not clear how that gives rise to schizophrenia or, or psychiatric illness or whatever it might be. Yeah. But still, that's like a smoking gun again. So, so, if it, so if children present with, you know, rapid onset behavioural changes that are kind of bizarre, is it okay or is it responsible to say to your doctor... Could this be bacterial? Definitely. Should yeah. we try an antibiotic? Yeah, the Economist was very strong on this now, saying, look, it's all about awareness now. Yeah. Most psychiatrists haven't come across this. Isn't that staggering? You think they'd know about these things? That really gives don't. me the fear. And I think half of all GPs, no clue about it. I now, just hate that you have to be responsible as the parent to know about this. Like? Well, my, my, my message was they should learn some more immunology. These. It's unusual to think that psychi- psychiatric illness would be caused by the immune system. It wouldn't be our yeah. first thought anyway. You know? But now that this evidence is there... If a child presents with these symptoms, look for the infection. See mm-hmm. if you can find it. Look for the autoantibodies. The and are they thing. saying that there's any other symptoms? Like, do they have a temperature? Do they have a... Ra- like- they can have, exactly. As, a, as, as, the, as a, the infection, they'll have other symptoms anyway, you know, that are consistent with an infection. And that, that really tells you something. There was a great case study in The Economist um, article that the child had sinus problems mm-hmm. and then was exhibiting these psychiatric Features. They, they thought that there was radiation coming out of the sockets. They thought that birds would peck them to death, this kind of thing. You know, really okay. psychiatric disturbance. And then, lo and behold, the mother, luckily enough, saw the sinus and the doctor saw the sinus and gave the kid antibiotics and the symptoms went away. See, that's the thing. Like, you just. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you. Now, now, as you said to me earlier, do we give everybody antibiotics? Well, that's now the for thing. Fear of this. I think, I think you need really... to detect it. It's, in other words, do a test. And I predict. If this all happens in the way we want, and there's all these lobby groups now that are lobbying for this, mm-hmm. uh, if if a child goes to see their GP or a consultant in infectious disease or a psychiatrist, yeah, they'll look for this. And then if and they what's the it, test? You can test for the strep, the, the bacteria, just the a swab, part, like swab, yeah. And then you can test for the autoantibodies, even better, really, you know. So if, if if a child has a psychiatric disorder, and you measure autoantibodies to dopamine receptors, then you know, oh look, hang on a minute, this is probably going to be pandas, and now I can treat that child with antibiotics. That, that's where this would would go eventually, I think. I think eventually, but my fear is that. You go in and you say this. Oh, I heard Luke O'Neill say this, and the GP rolls their eyes at you and is like, "It's nothing." Your well, this child is, this is, is why the lobby groups are there, and there's a UK lobby group agitating. There's a European-wide support network, and what gets me is, I think this is earlier, three mothers have emailed me since I spoke about it. So it's probably more common than we think. I think it's. Know? I've had parents uh, message me about it. I have some listener questions. Are you ready? Yep. Um, hi, Stephanie. An immunocompromise. I'm immunocompromised, and I have COVID for the third time. Last time was in May, and I never got the booster because the GP said that I was covered until Christmas. She was also waiting on some to come in. I feel worse than ever. Does natural immunity help seeing that I had it in May? It does, hugely. In fact, natural immunity combined with previous vaccination, there's really good evidence that gives really great protection, you see. So so in that situation, there's probably no need to get the booster. To be on the safe side, though, you, you can't measure the strength of the natural response. So in okay. other words, it could be a low dose and then you're not going to get that much of an immune response mm-hmm. to it. The vaccine is a safer way to ensure boosting you. So can you can you demand a booster even if you've had COVID? I think you can now. If you're over 50 or whatever it is. Or immunocompromised. Definitely if you're you're immunocompromised for definite. Can you ask Luke how to boost my immune system? I keep getting colds for my granddaughter. 
Yeah, it's a funny word, boost, actually, because we can't really boost our immune systems, is the truth of it. Okay. You can with a vaccine, but apart from that, you can't, right? Yeah. All you can do is keep it healthy. And okay. Keep it fit, right? And it's like everything else. The best way to have a healthy immune system is a good diet, take exercise, good night's sleep is extremely important, and stress is a huge negative on the immune response. We know that. So any way you can de-stress. Yeah. Now that can be things like go to a movie or have a cup of coffee with a friend, have whatever, a bath. whatever it is, whatever your thing is. It can be anything at all, you know. Yeah. And stress is a big negative. So try and try and live as, as a, it's painful, isn't it? That you got to live a healthy lifestyle, but still your immune system needs to be looked after, just like the rest of your body, really. Um, can you foresee a cure for MS and if so is it far away? Well it's remarkable the progress in MS let's start with that because in the past sort of five years two therapies are making a big difference now it's early MS this is always the challenge if people have MS now it can have been gone on for too long and you're trying to close the famous phrase closing the stable door after the horse is bolted, bolted yeah. but there's one drug called ocrelizumab ocrelizumab is another mouthful mm-hmm. that targets I think called CD20 in the immune system and it suppresses the attack on the brain. These B cells are making autoantibodies actually again to attack the myelin. So now if you if you present with MS now and you're in your 20s, say, they give you that immediately and the evidence is compelling. It's slowing the disease down. That's one drug. Mm-hmm. The other was called dimethylfumarate or DMF that we work on my lab. That's having beneficial effects as well. So in other words, there's great progress with MS. Now the trouble is if you have it, and you've had it for a few years, it's very hard to get repair. Okay. That's the challenge there, you see. But again, there's a bit of progress. In fact, they're giving ocrelizumab now to progressive MS patients, and they are seeing a slight slowing down, even at the progressive stage, which is the most vicious part of this. So I, I think we're beginning to see, we've turned a big corner in MS in the past five, six years, is the view of neurologists because yeah. of these new therapies. And meanwhile, there's probably 10 new drugs being tested anyway, you know, so we're, yeah. going, we're going to see more progress, I bet you, in MS. Fingers crossed. Yep. Um, have you heard about this fake Ozempic? No. What's so, yeah. F- fake Ozempic. So, Ozempic vials with not Ozempic in them are circulating in Europe. People are what's, making. What's in them? Oh, I just say I don't know. It's not. It's not Isn't damaging. It's not damaging people, but it's yeah, that, not. always very Doing what they want. People who need Ozempic, you know. And, yeah. And they might be getting the stuff that isn't the real deal. I suppose Let's that wrecks it. my head. Um, we've talked about Ozempic. Um, okay, so back to the book before we finish. Yeah. Who do you hope reads this book apart from me? Well, I hope you're going to finish it. I will finish <laughs> it. It's just hard to find time, Luke. I know you start falling asleep. Don't you think? Well, Especially I was in London the other day. Situation, you're going to be dozing away. I was in London know. the other day. Yeah. And I read it on the plane. Fantastic! A great place to read it. A great place to read it. Yeah, and I hope, I hope he, did you get the odd laugh out of it? I did get the odd laugh. Thank out of God it, yeah. for that. My that's my intention. My favorite bits are when I can really see you coming through. That's the yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. My weird sense of humor. Yeah. Um, everybody, I want the whole world to read this book. Now, not because I want to make money off it, but um, I think science is so important for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. One is it's fun, actually, and I had to bring the fun in the book because it's all these strange characters. That's the first thing, right? Yeah. But secondly, it's extremely important because you can make your own mind up about things if you learn a bit of science. There's really about good vaccines bits or climate change about so conspiracy theories in it. That's exactly right. That kind of thing. Yeah. So I think I think in a democracy, you want people to have science because they can make their own minds up and vote for politicians in a certain way if they should choose. You know? yep. So again, there's, that's a slightly more serious side to it. But I think I think the the thing about science for me is it's a joyous business, and I try to bring that across in the book. You know, and all these great discoveries, isn't it marvelous? Where can people get the book? In, in any bookshop, hopefully. It's got or a red online, Amazon. A red, black, and white cover. It's got a bull in a 
in a hot air it balloon has. on the front. Yes. And I just said to the U, it's in the UK, yeah. which is a bit of a thrill. I was in the UK myself, found it in a bookshop in Bristol. Isn't that nice? That's very Moved nice. Moved it to the front. Of course, as <laughs> um, we all do. As we all do. Yeah. Anyway, I did say to the, the, uh, the penguin, I said, Look, can we do a bit of publicity for the book? Let's recreate the bull in the balloon in public and let's set a balloon off with a bull in it. Wouldn't that get attention? And they <laughs> so, said no. No, they said that's a great idea. Now, whether it'll happen or not, we wouldn't be allowed to do it now probably because of the uh, Have you heard of what's happened to the puck fair? Thing. Well, exactly. Can you King imagine Puck. sticking a balloon? What about a blow-up bull? <laughs> a blow-up bull, maybe. <laughs> we get away with that. Yeah. I, would, uh, I would recreate, you see, I talk about that in the book, Madame Poitivan in London decided to go up in a hot air balloon dressed up as Europa in with a bull dressed as Zeus and she rose over London. Isn't that wonderful? But so the we bull should recreate died. That. No, the bull didn't die. I don't think so. No, one of the animals died. Well, there was a feeling that the bull was a bit unhappy. <laughs> okay. You know. So. But then didn't they send up, they sent up uh, another balloon with a chicken in it, a flightless bird, yep. a, a bird that could fly, yep. and a sheep. That's right. Exactly. As a control. Now, that, that's a great experiment. Would, would flying in a balloon up into the sky be dangerous or not, was what they were wondering. Right? The yeah. sheep is like a human the same size, okay? The bird can fly anyway and shouldn't be harmed by this. Yeah. But the flightless bird might. So that's what they had. It's not a great control. Yeah. The flightless bird as well. You see. And all three survived. So that was fine. How did the f- flying bird not just fly? Like, how did they I keep it? They kept it in a cage. Oh, <laughs> the poor thing. <laughs> and that is it. I'm going to leave you go with that, Luke. Thank Great. you so much. Thanks, Stephanie. Uh, the book is called To Boldly Go, Where No Book Has Gone Before and it is published by Penguin and it is out now. If you have any further questions for me or Luke, you can send them to me on Instagram or you can email Luke. I'm sure you can find it if you give him an old Google. Uh, n- nice, Sir Sir Luke O'Neill. Sir Luke O'Neill. Do we call you Sir? No, I'm Lord O'Neill now, please. Lord. Are you actually? No. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you get a title when you sign that book, no? You don't. But you do get FRS after your name. So I can put FRS now after my name, even though it means... Former research scientist. Nothing much here. But FRS in England, oh God. You oh know God. That. It's like a Jedi knight. Is it? I was told, yeah, if you're an FRS. Yeah, but it's, not you know, It's very serious, you know. Thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner. Our music is by Only Bruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. We are produced by Hilary Barry. And we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.